welcome back to Science in Between. Yeah, here we are. It here is we ep- are episode thirty. Look 30. at us. Yeah. Look, yeah. Huh? And, and us being, I'm Scott. I'm Ollie, and we're here together. Yeah. So we have spent over a half a year with you folks out there. So that's pretty cool. Right. So if you've been with us since the beginning, that is awesome. That's, yeah. And if you haven't, welcome. Yeah. This is your if this is your first experience with the with science in between, then buckle up. Yeah, because wow, you never know where it's going to go. A wild ride. It is a wild ride, and uh, filled with uh, uh, dad jokes and esoteric business and rabbit holes. Filled with dad jokes. I think that because otherwise, if if people hear that, there's going to be a lot of pause buttons. (laughs) Right. Right. Like okay, yeah. Jump ahead ten seconds. Jump ahead ten seconds. While we hear Ollie giggle at his bad jokes. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm down with that. Ra- you know, the dad jokes. Oh, but they're and not holes. just going to skip your dad jokes. They're going to skip the whole thing, right, man? You think that's how I mean, it's going like, Well, if you say that this is why I'm trying to clarify that the show is not full of dad jokes. Okay. There are occasional dad jokes, which in fairness get ridiculed. By you, mocked. By me, yes. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the yin and yang of that's, this. That's the give and take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. that's the right that we have. Yeah, and I think that's what people flock to science. No, flock is the correct <laughs> yeah. word. Yes, they they come here for this this banter, this witty ban- banter. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we're we're literally caning them away from us. <laughs> right. No, please stop. <laughs> yes. Stop. Stop. Well, you know those and and all the uh, people who want to you know uh, advertise with this, we're like pushing well, those folks away too, yeah. right? Yeah. I know. Yet again, we had to say no to Amazon and Google and right Apple and McDonald's. And, they they wanted to yeah yeah yeah. We're like no, we're not no, we're not sorry. selling out. No, no, we're pure. We're purists. We're principled. We do that's, this for the love of the medium. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's us. So, uh, what are we talking about today, Scott? What I have this? no earthly idea. Like, <laughs> I, I genuinely have no earthly idea. What we're I think you do. I, I think you do. Uh, so we we are okay. Let me remind you. Uh, this is our Please. our uh, you know couple episodes, several episodes foray into the cross cutting concepts. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And what we decided to do was to at least dedicate you know uh, several episodes, and we well, it's turning into like an episode per cross cutting concept. At least you know that's what we've been doing. Um, so today we're going to talk about patterns and the cross cutting yeah. concept of patterns and uh, next generation science standards. And yeah. if you've been following along, we we I think we've landed on not calling them uh, metaphors. We 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 steered clear of you know using the metaphor concept because um, we 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 couldn't find one that I I, I proposed uh, lightsabers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. so. I think what we've landed on is cognitive gadget. Yep, that is correct. Yeah. That is what we've landed on. We landed on cognitive ga- gadgets, and so yep. if. And so these are uh, concepts that appear in a, a bunch of different con- uh, content areas, uh, but these are uh, cognitive ga- gadgets that can help students learn science and start to see things, um, see some of the, you know, I don't know, the magic of science, right? See some of the things that are uh, happening across disciplines and see that, you know, even though we have these discrete dif- disciplines, or at least we teach them as discrete disciplines of, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, and, and so on, that there are these these tools, these things that happen across all the areas. And, and these are, you know, so we've talked about, you know, uh, scale, quantity, proportion. We've talked yeah. about cause and effect. 
um, at others. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a short, uh, these are sort of a shared backbone that create um, a, a way to access scientific thinking, right? I mean, that's why we think of them as cognitive de- gadgets is they're, they're tools um, that students can use to pr- pr- ideally um, across these sub-disciplines to, to investigate problems and to help them just think about science. Um, and so there's, they're, they're not content. So they're not about science content. They're not strictly speaking about the practices. And those are the other two strands of the 3D learning and NGSS, right? The practices right. and the disciplinary core ideas. They're not about like, how do you do science in a sort of process oriented way? What they are is how do you think about scientific problems? What, what is your, what are the things that help you think about scientific problems in the way that scientists do? Um, and one of the things, you know, calling back to, uh, you know, our close personal friend, Brian Brown's book, um, <laughs> is, is the idea that part of what science is, is learning a new language. And, right. and so these, these, these tools are built around the idea that these are particular language structures that are useful to kids and that we can help them learn, learn how to use so that they can use them across these sub domains and, uh, to help them think about science. So really that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being explicit, using language that, um, right. that can be used across grade levels because, and across disciplinary areas, because it's, it's the way that scientists talk. So we're really, you know, breaking down the, the language component of science into these cross-cutting concepts. So I have two thoughts here. Um, one is, uh, it's, it's not just uh, ways of, of communicating, but these are also ways of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. They're, you know, and that, I think that's why we've landed on the cognitive gadget, you know, concept, right? Is that mm-hmm. these are ways of thinking about science. So that's, that's thing one. Thing two is, are these cross-cutting concepts limited to science? I know that's the sort of like the, the lens you and I take to it. Um, but, uh, we do have other folks who listen to this. We have some, you know, I have a colleague who's, uh, an, an art professor at my institution and she's listening. Uh, and she always brings in the ideas of, from art. And, and I think that's something that always gets me thinking, right? Um, certainly this week's concept patterns, it's pretty clear that that's not just a science, uh, concept. That's, that's a concept that spreads across a whole lot of, uh, disciplines and domains, um, and so I just wonder about some of the other ones, you know, that because there are there are, there are others, right? And yeah, you know, cost yeah, effect I mean, is I absolutely, think- you know, a. So if we look at some of the other ones, you know, scale, proportion, and quantity, absolutely something that goes across disciplines. Um, you know, cause cause and effect, absolutely stability and change, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, absolutely, you know, we have talked about stability and change. Oh just, wow, they're just blurring together. Yeah. Sorry. See. They all, yeah, they're just yeah. all these tools. You, you get they, them and you just, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to say this from the jump here. Uh, I am not a fan of patterns as a cross-cutting concept. And all right. here's why. Okay. Um, because I think it's just, you know, to your point, I think it's the extreme version of a thing that doesn't feel like it's a science thing at all. Now, sure. I think we can talk about it. Um, and I think, you know, clearly science is about finding patterns, but the human, like humans find patterns, like this is what we do. Like it's sort of the way that we're, 
we have evolved, right, right is that we're pattern finding organisms. And so to, to call that a cross-cutting concept in science is sort of like saying a cross-cutting concept in science is language because you talk. And it's like, well, mm. yeah, I mean, that's true. But really, is it something specific to science? Like, is there a reason that that we have to call that out as a as a really central thing that science does because i think it's built into all the other ones like cause and effect is a kind of pattern right systems and system modeling those are kinds of patterns like structure and function those are patterns stability and change those are patterns like these are so it feels to me like patterns is sort of this like bleh, amorphous blob of a thing that that is true, as you say, you know, it's not like art is about finding patterns. It's not like English, like, right. It's not like math or social studies. Like all of those things are, are pattern finding endeavors. They're just, you know, to be esoteric for a minute, they're, they're <laughs> different epistemic pattern finding missions, right? Sure. Like they, they have different ways of, of finding patterns and identifying patterns and deciding whether these patterns count or not within that discipline. But patterns just, I don't know. It just, it feels like there's not enough there to, to get traction on as a, as a science only thing. And, and there's the end of our podcast day. Yep. Thank you. Uh, yep. We're yep. done. All right. Now just no. things that bring us joy. Okay. So let, let me just push back a little bit on this. Um, well, I, I'll say that I have some, um, some troubles with patterns. And I, I think we did, we talked a lot of this before we actually started the show, uh, started recording today is that it doesn't seem as discreet right as some of the other ones do it blurs to me um because as i started thinking about like well the cool stuff i like about patterns i start to think about modeling right and that's a whole separate cross-cutting concept and i start to think about like you know as i think more about it but then i go back to what the um ngss says about patterns this this is the the standard right this is the standard for uh, the pattern cross-cutting concepts. Observed patterns in nature guide organization and classification and prompt questions about relationships and causes underlying them. Okay, so the first part, right, is the part about science that I think you and I just kind of hate, right? It's organization and classification, like like giving us a taxonomy and giving us, the, I mean, that's just not our bag, right? It's yeah. just not, not, it's, it's just not who we are as, as scientists, as people, where we really like is the second part of it prompts questions about relationships and causes underlying them. And then as soon as you get to that second part of that, now we're going into the other cross-cutting concepts, right? Yeah. And so I think it's, it's our own, I, I don't want to say, you know, personal bias, um, but it's certainly an area of science that you and I have, and in previous episodes that talked about this, we, we, we like process, you know, this is why last episode we talked so much about the transformation box because it was a, a novel way of looking at biology that was not about taxonomy. It wasn't about like, you know, that kind of organization of stuff. And, and then maybe that's why, you know, we don't see, uh, I don't know, the joy in patterns and see the value in this as much as some of the others. Yeah, that could be, I mean, and, and, and maybe, I was going to say pushing back on that, but I think actually building on that, um, I think it's not so much that you and I object to the idea of classification and organization. It's it we object to the idea that the purpose of science is to memorize other people's version right. of organization and classification, right? That that it shouldn't be 
you know, like we would say it is the task of the scientists to organize and classify. And when you take that task away from the students and, and say, we don't want you to actually do that work. We just want you to memorize somebody else's version of it. That's where it falls apart for me. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you the electron shells and you're just going to memorize right. the 4P, 3S, whatever nonsense. And, <laughs> and you're not going to understand why those things matter or what the purpose of them is, or, you know, and it's the same, like going to biology, like, okay, you're going to memorize the kingdom and the phylum and the species and the genus right. and the whatever. And the, and not, and, you know, again, not understand what the purpose of it is. Like why, sure. why did scientists spend, you know, literally hundreds of years figuring this out? Um, and then, you know, you're supposed to memorize it over a weekend and cram it so you can take a test on it. Well, that it just defeats the whole purpose of, um, of that. So, you know, maybe the asterisk for me here is, and, and I gr agree with you, it's more about the second half of that statement right. about patterns, yeah. which is I'm much more interested in pattern finding, right? So it's not so much patterns that are the thing. It's that pattern finding is the thing, right? Like science is about finding patterns, but again, that's true about all these other areas. It's just that sure. they find patterns in different places. So, you know, patterns in art, patterns in music, patterns in math. They're like, again, humans are pattern forming organisms. It's what we do. Like it's it to a default, right? Like yeah. we find patterns where there are not patterns and that's a problem that we have to deal with too. But um, right. Cause there's a, there's a tendency in nature for things to move towards chaos, right. And more to move to disorder and we're looking right. And then we're looking for patterns in that chaos and and that in itself is a fault of ours right as humans so yeah. well it's it's both like it's both a fault and our greatest gift right so it is a double-edged sword because it's the greatest it is, gift it's wow. the greatest gift wow, wow. all know. right it's, well, it's i'm gonna the, put a pin in that i'll yeah. think about that for a little bit okay because i it'll come back to the thing that brings me joy this week i'll, oh. I'll, I'll preview coming attractions that you, um, just, you just pulled an ollie right there this yeah, is I one did. of those yeah uh, but i'm not i'm not gonna make it a all bad connects. joke about it yeah okay all right um but what i will say is that you know the the nature of our world is built around our pattern finding, right? Sure. I mean, you can talk about design that way. You can talk about, um, you know, engineering, um, but you can also talk about, you know, academic disciplines in terms of pattern finding. And I do think, you know, this, this, this taking away of the agency of students to do their own pattern finding is, is a, a, an idea that cuts across discipline boundaries in schools, right? You know, right. like when we take that away from kids, um, and tell them there are correct answers and correct patterns and their job is to memorize the correct patterns instead of learn how to find their own patterns. I think we've taken away the most powerful thing that humans have, right? Which is this, is this, we want to find patterns and yeah. that gets us, it gets us motivated, right? Like seeking patterns is, is like so deep in our DNA that, that it's, it's impossible to ignore it. So when you provide kids opportunities to seek their own patterns, it, it, it creates motivation, right? It creates, they care, right? Because now they're finding their own patterns and you're not telling them their patterns wrong or bad. What you're trying to do is help them develop a set of criteria to decide whether their pattern is good or bad or productive or not productive. And, and, and then they get to decide like, okay, it's working for me in the following ways, but now it's not working because of this new thing. Right. And when, when that, and that new thing is a new piece of evidence or a new, a new, whatever, um, you know, depending on your discipline and, 
that's really the the power here that we have taken away from kids with the way that we are organized schooling, that we have taken away their ability to find their own patterns. And really their job is just to memorize the patterns that have been found by other people who are older and less interesting than them. Or when we have those times when we're giving them the the chance to look for patterns, it's more from a verification standpoint. It's like, Hey, here's, you know, here, let's, let's do this front. Let's organize all of these elements based on this. Oh, look at this. You just came up with the, you know, the periodic table. Ah, look at you just verified, you know, this work. And, and that is uh, it's disingenuous. And it's also like, you know, it's like, yeah. It doesn't lead to the second part that I think is the most important part of this standard is this prompting questions and, you know, looking for those relationships and, yeah. you know, and that's, I think that where it goes back to what you're saying. And yeah. And it, it goes to this, you know, and you and I have talked about this, I don't think on the show, but certainly in other contexts, right. Which is Dewey's idea of perplexity yeah. and, and how fundamental that is to, to how people operate in the world. Right. And, and the core idea of perplexity is you don't understand something and you want to understand something. And, and both of those things have to be in play. Like, um, that is what creates the motivation. The pa- and, and again, it goes back to pattern finding. Like, is this a pattern or is this not a pattern? I'm not sure yet, but I need to build evidence for it. Well, that is, you know, that can get you out of bed in the morning. That can get you excited about stuff. Right. But, um, but me telling you, here's the pattern, or as you say, even worse, like, I want you to find your own pattern, but then as soon as you do, I'm going to tell you it's the wrong one because here's right. the right one. It's like, okay, now, now you've made it even worse. Now it's worse than me just having to memorize your patterns. Now, when I come up with my own patterns, all you ever do is tell me they're wrong. And that, yeah. that's just like, forget it. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in back and like make little paper footballs or whatever yeah. it is that you're going to do. That's probably well, I, an old school reference paper. Yeah, they, they, the, you know, some of the, the younger listeners out there have no idea what you're talking They're about. Like, what are you talking about? Is that a vape pen of some kind? No, <laughs> no, no, it is not. not. Oh, well, I'm going to declare that John Dewey is in fact a friend of the show and he can't dispute oh, that. I'm going to say it. so true. He is a friend of the show. Both, it, both, it's both, both. The, he is a friend of the show <laughs> and that he can't dispute it are true. No, no, he cannot. And so we, while Brian Brown, could you know argue that mm. he has no connection to the show yeah. um we dispute that but we, we do <laughs> we do um categorically john dewey however he, he he is not putting up a fight no <laughs> well and i will say i have a personal connection to john dewey because my doctorate was from the university of michigan and that was where john dewey was a faculty member i uh, i took graduate courses in the same building that john dewey worked in when he was wow. at the university of michigan so um, I think basically he and I are friends, uh, or, or, you know, I mean, he was dead before I was born, but, sure. but you walked in some of the same places that he that's walked. right. I walked in his shoes. Yeah, that is cool. Of. That is cool. Cause I, I'm a total John Dewey fanboy. I mean, there's no, and it, you know, I, I will say, uh, there's so many times where I go back to, to something that he's written and I'll just like he wrote this like over a hundred years ago. Right. Yep. And this is still as meaningful today as it was, you know, a hundred and so years ago. And, and yep. that is, I think the, the power of it, you know? 
That's the yeah, real power of John sure. Dewey. And I think that you're right that, that we've, we, I might've talked, we might've talked about perplexity in a previous episode. Um, but I think it's such a critical element of, of science and at least fostering sort of that, you know, m- that motivation, the curiosity, right. The agency, which I think is the part where you're talking about is that we take away the mo- motivation and the agency from the students by, you know, at the end of this saying, Oh, you didn't come up with the right pattern. The, it, it, and rather than saying, "Hey, look, you came up with some something really interesting," well, let's let's what would you do with this? And trying to like disrupt that pattern, um, or using other things to you know kind of mess with the pattern so that they you know looking at things from a different perspective to try to you know you know increase the perplexity, right? Like, yeah. okay, you've made this pattern. Uh, what would you do if I threw this into it? You know, I'm just like, right. you know, talking hypothetically, but I mean, that increases the perplexity, whereas yeah. the, you know, you're wrong decreases it. Right. That's and right. I so, think that's it. I think you yeah. hit on a key idea there. Right. Which is that, that, and I don't think it's hypothetical. I think that is the way that science course, like classes should be organized is that you're, you're asking students to develop their own understandings, their own theories, their own patterns, and then you're pressing on them. You're forcing them to, to make them stronger by, by pressing on them. And, you know, I mean, again, this sort of takes advantage of a thing that human beings are, have both as a strength and a weakness, which is we defend the things that we believe in, right? <laughs> and so yeah. if, you, if they've developed their own theory and they really believe in it, they will defend it. Like you can see, you know, I've seen middle school kids who will argue back with their teachers adamantly about their position because they so much believe it. Right. Right. And, and so it is our job as science teachers to do exactly as you've described, to let them develop their own patterns and then push on those patterns and push on those patterns and make them understand that their pattern, their patterns are weak in some areas and need to be strengthened. And that's, that's a fundamental lesson about the way the world should work. You know, again, this is the dilemma that we're in now is that people are accepting other people's patterns uncritically. So they're listening to somebody on the radio who says, or wherever on some podcast, God forbid, um, <laughs> where somebody says, here's the way the world works, right? You know, and, and I don't want to get too political here, but they say stuff and then, and then the people on the other end nod right. their heads. And this happens, this, this is not one of the pol- political spectrum or another. It, it happens because we are, we have, we are not being critical. We're not pressing on our own ideas to say like, what right. is the evidentiary basis for that? Like uh, what, what, you know, how do we decide that? And, and who, what does this data mean that I'm being told about? Do I believe it? Is the source credible? Like we don't do any of that. We take it all uncritically. So I, but I, I think I worry a little bit because you're, you're throwing a lot of stuff into the pattern box, right? Oh, I'm not throwing any of that into the pattern box. Exactly. Okay. 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 Carry on, carry on. No, no, no. I just want to make sure like what, what, what we're considering as patterns and what we're not considering as patterns. Right. So the um and i guess you know i'll we can put this in the show notes like what well, um there's the bozeman sites has a lot of uh really great resources for teaching cross-cutting concepts and the next generation science standards so one of the things that i, I uh that we could share and there's a, a nice little uh graphic organizer to help students like understand different types of patterns so like time patterns spatial patterns patterns with respect to relationships and also through properties and things like that and so but i think that's the kind of thing that when we're looking at patterns broadly that we want to uh foster in students or we want to help them look for those or you know help build perplexity around that and and i think that you're you know 
talking about this, like, you know, from a, a societal perspective might be blowing it, not out of proportion, but certainly taking it because there's, I mean, I think we have an information challenge in society, right? Which is not necessarily a pattern, right? But like how, what we do with the information. Say more about what, that. Say more about the information challenge. Well, I mean, what, what, what counts as, what, what counts as information, what counts as fact, what counts as, you know, that's, I think, where it goes to, uh, and what counts as evidence, Right. Those are the things that I think we have uh, challenges with in our society. And we're not critically examining the information and saying this is credible or this is not. And so I don't know if that's necessarily pattern recognition as much as it is, you know, um, maybe media literacy or. um, Well, I guess what I'm saying when I'm referring to that is. That, that that maybe falls within the cross-cutting concepts of patterns, but again, this is pretty broad, right? Is that um, there, and this is why I like the idea of calling it pattern finding rather than calling it just patterns. Patterns, right. But, um, you know, I think the idea that you will uncritically accept the somebody else's pattern and just nod your head, yeah. um, I think that's the thing that's problematic. And, um, and so I think that is a thing that not just science, but again, all, all areas of, of schooling can do a better job of. And, you know, this is another way of, of sort of framing critical thinking, right? Like we always talk about, oh, we want our kids to be critical thinkers. Well, I think for me, fundamentally, what that means is that when they are given a pattern, when they are told this is the answer, I want them to not accept that as at face value, I want them to say, look, you can't just tell me something and I'm just going to believe it. I need to know more. And what more means is different in different disciplines. Sure. Um, but in science, it means I want a particular kind of evidence for this pattern. I want, yeah. I want you to put in front of me the evidence and I want to look at that evidence and I want to see if it comports with that pattern. And really what I, you know, again, going back, I want people to make their own patterns. I think what, what I was trying to say is what schooling has done in general to people is, or contributed to, is the idea that your job is to uncritically accept the patterns of other people and just adopt them as your own. And I think that's not a good, we're not in good state as a result of that. I mean, it's, it's, we, we don't want to be in that situation. We want to be in a place where people can do their own thinking about stuff. I'll say just to kind of circle back Mm-hmm. Um, I would, this is going to be sort of like a mantra that I'm going to present for patterns. I think the pattern in education should be one that increases perplexity rather than decreases it. That, I'm just going to throw that out. That's the pot. John Dewey. John Dewey. You know, Ollie yeah. quoting. RIP to a real one. Yeah. Darn yeah. straight. And yeah. that's, I think the the challenge you're presenting, right? Is that yeah. what we do is we're, uh, teaching we're schooling in a way um and i want to say everybody but this it's it's certainly happening enough and we could say this is the result of standardization it could be the result of you know mass assessment that we've been doing right these standardized assessments um that what we're looking for is that there's right answers right rather than right questions or right processes for bringing to bear um on questions and and that you know what we've done is we've decreased perplexity decreased these the agency for our students and their motivation to seek answers yeah and yeah, yeah i mean it, like when when i talk about this with my my students, my pre-service teachers or, or my teachers that I work with, like I, th- I say like the fundamental thing here is 
we don't want we don't want correct facts. What we want is less wrong explanations, right? Wow. So, Great. so we we want to build towards the idea that like you know your your job is to explain, but the explanations are never going to be right yeah. because that's not how explanations work. I mean, facts is a different thing. Like those can be either true or not true, but explanations are never either complete or true or not true. They are constructed. And so this idea that what, what science is about is building better explanations. um, I think that's the real focus. And um, all that to say, still not a fan of patterns as a cross concept. <laughs> as much as I think in many respects, this has been one of our more interesting conversations about sure. cross cutting concepts. I still think patterns, mm, not, not quite making it for me because right. it feels, it feels too much, you know, like fundamental to everything, you know, again, it's like, well, yeah, patterns. Okay. Fair enough. It's, it's all ball bearings. So it is. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's, it's turtles all the way down. It's ball yeah. bearings all the way down. It's all patterns, 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 patterns. It's just patterns, patterns of patterns of patterns of patterns. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we've, we kind of, uh, we had, you know, some dark moments in there where we talked yes, about the fate of the world and society. Yes. And uh, we've sort of landed on uh, something I think is a little bit more promising. I think you ended on a, like a, a good note. And well, we got perplexity in there. And we got we John did Dewey get, in there. So. Right. Our friend, friend of the show, uh, John Dewey. Yeah. Jo- I'm going to just call him Johnny. I think Johnny Dewey. Johnny. Uh, no. Please don't <laughs> no. do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> wow. You know, he's such a friend. So. Yeah. But still, uh, you know. Um, I know that you're, you're an IE, uh, end of name person because you're Ali and, you know, right. uh, but like, I, I'm, I'm not an IE person. Like I, Scotty is not a thing that I have ever liked or have any interest in anybody calling me. Um, so I'm just going to assume that John would like to be just John. All right. You're speaking for John, our friend, I, John. I, well, right. I, I feel like I have a closer personal connection. Oh, that's right. Cause you walked in his footsteps because I, I, fought, I walked in his footsteps, but, right. um, but now I would like you to tell me about something that brings you joy. All Ali. right. All right. Yeah. Joys of the week. Bring um, the joy. Uh, this, I will say this is a, um, a, a recent joy, but we have binged this show like you cannot imagine. Um, have you heard of Letterkenny? Do you know the show? Letterkenny. I do, I do in fact, know Letterkenny. Yes. So Very, very good Canadian. Wow. Um, so I, I will start by saying, yeah, it is a Canadian show. And, and I don't know if I've ever met somebody from Canada that, that I, I don't really like, you know, they're just awesome people. And this show is about this group of friends in rural Canada and, and they're, you know, Tom Fullery. I think that the <laughs> best, it is, yes. it is Tom yeah. Fullery and yeah. It's sort of like, okay, so I, I've been trying to describe it to the people who are, um, you know, uh, they are not, are unawares of the joys of Letterkenny. Yeah. It would be like if you took Dairy Girls, right? Because it yeah. has this, Another like. Another fabulous. Right, which is an awesome show. And Dairy Girls is, you know, it's a friend show. There's a group of friends. And it's it's from a different, you know, society, different time period. Um, but I think um, Letterkenny set in present, present day. Um mm. Um, but it, there's some cultural differences, right? Because it's so rural that there's, you know, some things that you just like, really, that's a thing. But then the other part about it that I think is unique, it's it's like, it's it's a lot like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which, you know, right. is 
it all it's always funny is one of those shows like right from the beginning they were swinging for the fences like they're just saying yeah. you know what we're gonna we're just gonna make our show and if people get offended we're okay with that yeah. and and letter kenny there are times where i'm just like i'm blushing i was watching it last night with my my daughter who's 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 20 and i was like a little uncomfortable because they were breaking ground into areas that i would not feel comfortable repeating on the show yeah. or with my daughter um i'm just like okay you have to watch that episode on your own because i'm not <laughs> going to watch it with you um but it is so funny it is so funny that um yeah and we've just been binging binging it because it's they're short episodes like each one like dairy girls is like 20 25 minutes and you could just and it's on hulu so we've been watching it on demand and hulu and i think they're like seven or eight seasons and i think it's been renewed for a new season so um just a joy just an absolute joy laughter abounds yeah laughter letter abounds letter kenny letter kenny go out and watch it today yeah. Spend your week, spend your weekend wisely, and watch. So you've seen it. You've seen it. Like I haven't seen you... all of it, but I've seen. Uh, I've seen just under a f- one season of it, so oh. it's not even close to what you the commitment we, you've made to it. We we we're like well into the third season in just yeah. like a handful of days. Like in less than a week, we've we've binged into the first three seasons because you're just like, okay, we're gonna watch one more. Uh, yeah. okay, we're gonna watch, and that's always the 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 great things. And they, they're like standalone shows. There's an overall narrative, but each one's just sort of like standalone um kind of like you know it's always sunny no yeah i was gonna say that has a similar vibe in that respect to it's all always sunny yeah yeah all right all right what about you scott well i'm gonna go literally as far from letter kenny i think as is humanly possible all right Uh, so i am going to recommend a very esoteric book uh, which has been bringing me joy uh, in a very sort of weird uh, mind bending way. So this is um, a book by Karen Barad um, and it is called meeting the universe halfway. And it is a, it is an academic book. So I want to be super clear about what this is. This is a, this is a book of social theory by a woman who is a faculty member at UC Santa Cruz um, she is, I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong. She is professor of feminist studies, philosophy, and history of consciousness at the university of California, Santa Cruz. And her background is she has a PhD in theoretical particle physics. Wow. So, so what this book is about, <clears throat> and it, it seems completely bananas is, um, is taking essentially taking the here, we're going to get esoteric here for a minute, right? So taking the epistemology um, that is that was created by Niels Bohr as part of trying to understand quantum mechanics and building that out into a, to a, a, a basically a philosophical system called agental realism. Um, and it, it I, I'm not going to try to explain it because I, I think at this point, I'm too stupid to actually explain what she does in this book. Um, and I haven't finished it yet. I, I have one chapter left, um, but I've been reading it with two um, wonderful colleagues who are helping me understand this. Um, but it, it, um, I think it, in many respects, can transform how you think about the world. And, and a lot of this, um, this idea about pattern finding that we were talking about today, I think, is built into this because a lot of, well, for those of you who don't know the fundamentals of quantum mechanics, basically the purpose of quantum mechanics as a, as a system was to solve the problem. Um, basically that light can, can 
in different experimental conditions, sometimes look like a wave and sometimes look like a particle. And this confused the hell out of physics for a long time. It was a very difficult thing for them to get their heads around that things don't have an inherent nature, right? That light isn't always behaving like light behaves. And then eventually we figured out that actually matter can behave like waves. So that, that, that was the other half of it. So, so, um, and, and Bohr had, had a different explanation for this than Heisenberg, who was his sort of contemporary in the quantum um, universe. And there's actually a really, uh, I've not seen it, but I've heard really good things about, there's a Broadway play about this, about the relationship between Heisenberg and Bohr and their sort of um, discussions around quantum uh, mechanics. And I'll find, I'll find that too. But anyway, um, if you want something that really is going to wreck your head, uh, Meeting the Universe Halfway by Karen Broad, I strongly recommend you find uh, one or two other people to read it with you because um, you need to talk about it. I, I, you know, uh, I'm not understanding this book very well, but, uh, but I am really enjoying it. And it actually helped me understand quantum mechanics for the first time. Like I, t- I, I was a physics major as an undergrad um, and taught high school physics. You know, Ali and I have talked about that. And I don't think I ever really got especially the relationship between quantum mechanics and Newtonian dynamics, which is the more, you know, it's what we think of as physics. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a great book. So that, that sounds, sounds like it. And, and it, you know, brings in Heisenberg, which, you know, that guy, yeah, you know, well, here, here, you want to know my favorite story of uh, Heisenberg? Heisenberg yes. was, was driving home and got pulled over by the police. Oh God. And, and the police say, do you know how fast you were going? He says, no, but I know exactly where I am. Oh, I knew it was going to be a dad joke from the, from the jump, from the jump. There is a physics person out there that's laughing right now. There, oh, my God. That's there a it, physics teacher dad joke. That is a very small Venn diagram. Right. I just got to say. That, that one person out there is laughing. I am that one person. Yeah, and you are. Yes. So I think right there, we probably should just yeah, leave, I, leave, yeah. I think we need stop to, recording. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop, walk away. There, there's yes. nothing more to be said. We'll see you next time in between. We'll see you. <laughs>